The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod and Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. And I'm joined in the studio by producer, producer, excuse me, Justin at I am Justin Bailey. And then joining us from the road is Tom Schreier, co-founder of Zone Coverage. You can find him on Twitter at T Schreier 3. Where are you right now, Tom? I'm uh, I'm in beautiful Ames, Iowa, heading towards uh, Des Moines, home of uh, the great David Naylor. And uh, about to go down to Kansas City to uh, cover the series here. Yeah, so we have a little bit of on-site coverage. Tom is going from Kansas City to, remind me again, are you going to Des Moines after that? Uh, I'm going to Des Moines for Mr. Naylor's uh, wedding. So next time we hear from him, he's going to be off the podcast for a little bit, the soccer show and procedurally generated. But uh, he'll be a married man, and then I'll cover the Sunday game. And then I'm going to Cincinnati to see a friend, and then I'll go to Chicago to cover the White Sox series. So little hybrid, you know, personal and uh, twins road trip. Now, have you calculated how many miles that's going to be? Oh, it's uh, probably more than my car really should be going, but <laughs> it's like over a thousand. I'm pretty sure. I'm actually uh, it could be like fifteen. I don't know. That seems low. I don't know, Justin. That seems like... Yeah, I just drove yeah. back from Nashville on Tuesday, and that alone was 920 miles, so... Yeah, I'm thinking this is yeah, closer to 2,000. Pro- yeah. It's probably above 15 now that I think about it, because it's, yeah. it's about... I guess it depends on how he gets maybe. from Kansas City to Cincinnati. You also have to trust that he's going to go the right way. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. going to be lots of wrong turns. So, you said you wanted to involve Justin early in the program. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a question for you. Do you know the hometown of one of our favorite people in baseball, Terry Ryan, current Philly scout, former uh, Twin GM? I do. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell Justin. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am aware. He's a, uh, he's a proud. I meant that for Brandon, but I. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's a proud Janesville native, and we got Justin Bailey, proud Janesville native. Janesville's finest. Janesville's finest, right here. That's that's uh, probably all you guys have in common. Yeah. Little inside scoop on Terry Ryan, who is obviously there. He he does uh, occasionally scout from Target Field, and then he was there for Joe Maurer's number retirement ceremony. As I found out, he went to a high school called Parker High, I believe, and his wife went to Craig, and so he was curious where our producer. Mr. Justin Bailey went to high school. Mr. Justin Bailey, you want to tell him where you went to high school? Yeah, so I'm, when I get this text from Tom, I'm in Manchester, Tennessee (laughs) at Bonnaroo, and he texts me, hey, uh, what high school did you go to? Which was not a question I was expecting to get uh, where I was, but I told him that I went to Craig High School. Um, and I found out that the Terry Ryan went to Parker. So then I divulged some information, some inside baseball, if you will, about the differences between Craig high school and Parker high school. The main difference is that I, uh, highlighted was 
that Parker High School back in the day was referred to as Cow Pie High. Wow. <laughs> because it is on uh, most of that side of town is farmland, especially back in like the 70s, 80s and 90s uh, when like my parents went, it was Cow Pie High. Mm -hmm. The main difference between the two when I was there um, was that Craig High School had a roof that was built correctly. Um, while I was a freshman or a sophomore, we had a windstorm go through Janesville and part of the roof of Parker High School flew off and everyone got <laughs> off school for a couple days um, because the building was not built properly. Um, I also said that uh, good things about Parker, any talented athlete that Janesville does have tends to go to Parker. Um, anybody with an actual future in athletics goes there. Um, but yeah, the rivalry isn't as big as it used to be, but mm -hmm. it's still, it's still apparent in Janesville. I don't even know where to go from that. Yeah, it was, um, so I just, my, my only point there is that I got all this information. I pass it on Terry and he just goes, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, the more you know about, um, but no, I just, I, I brought that up because obviously there was, uh, kind of luminaries from the, uh, the great twins teams of, you know, 2002 to 10 and a, a handful from, uh, of course, the, the lean years afterwards. But, um, you know, Terry Ryan was there, obviously Paul Molitor, Johnny Bench was a surprise to me. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Denard's fan, Trevor Plouffe, you can go down the list, Joe Nathan, uh, kind of players from that era. And, uh, but yeah, I, as I was walking out, it was cool. The media was actually allowed on the, the field during the ceremony. I should say more like I was allowed. The security let me in. And uh, so I watched it from field level. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, as I was entering, I was talking about cow pie high with, uh, with Mr. Terry Ryan. Have I ever told you my favorite Terry Ryan story? Uh, you may have, but I think it's worth telling the pod on, on the podcast. So Wayne Hadaway, big fella is the old guy that would like saunter around the clubhouse and grab like a couple towels. And he was just like a honorary clubhouse attendant, but he spent like 50 years in the twins organization. He was a trainer. He was all kinds of stuff. And I guess he spent like 20 minutes rubbing Terry Ryan's arm before a start. And after he got done, he's like, that was nice Wayne. Um, but I'm left-handed and he spent like 20 minutes rubbing his right arm. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I didn't have the heart to tell him. Yeah. I'm left-handed Wayne. It's amazing. I, and we should, by the way, uh, Wayne Hadaway, big fellow, is there. He has not been there as recent. I think he's actually from, like, Alabama. But, um, Roll Tad. Uh, he hasn't, yeah, yeah. So he shows up in, like, a cowboy hat and, I, you know, mustache and stuff. He, it's hard to explain on a podcast, but he's one of the great characters, uh, you know, kind of in the Twins Clubhouse. And obviously, it's been there a long, long time. I, imagine Yosemite Sam, but elderly. Yeah, exactly. I think this is what Yosemite Sam actually did in his retirement. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, he's he's not been around. I guess he's technically retired. He doesn't really have a lot of uh, advocates in that clubhouse anymore with Gardy and Joe Mauer gone now. So anyway, uh, before we get to today's subjects of uh, uh, of uh, du jour, I guess, thank you so much for your reviews on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Uh, those reviews give us legitimacy both in the eyes of advertisers but also podcast providers. So drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Give us five stars if you like the show. And if you don't, drop into my DMs. They are wide open on Twitter. And let us know what we can do better because without you, we can't do the show. So thank you for your support. Tom, you got to experience the Joe Maurer retirement, uh, Jersey retirement ceremony 
how would you sum that up in however many words you want? Because uh, I watched it on TV, and I'll be honest with you, I got chills. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was as cool, to be honest, as him coming out in the catcher's gear. I don't know how you would have beaten that. Right. It was just so unexpected. It was in a real game. There was just kind of this recall. And to be fair, this came up again, you know, with number seven retiring. Was Look, like, what could have been if you had a better team around him if, you know, he hadn't uh, gotten injured, um, which obviously, you know, he, he then went to first base. He wasn't the same player for a couple of years. But mm-hmm. um, I think the takeaway was he got a little, you know, blast from the past where he had the, the Kemp's commercials with his mother. Mother's name is Teresa. Um, you had the uh, Take It Outside Joe. You had the Head and Shoulders advertisement. Um, and yeah, with Troy Polamalu too. Scottish. What now? The one with Troy Polamalu was on there. I kind of forget about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They showed that one. Um, did you see all this, by the way, on TV? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, they went through all this stuff. And I think it was just funny to see him. Um, I think it was such an emotional state. And you were actually at that game where he came out in the catcher's gear. That was unbelievable. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a different. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was just like a, a crazy crowd reaction there. Uh, where, you know, obviously this was all expected. You expect the speech. The Morneau speech actually was really, really good. Um, but it was more just kind of nice to see him celebrated, especially because the conversation is going to go to, you know, people are kind of, and this is both here at Nashville, they're kind of on the fence whether he's a Hall of Famer. I tend to think so, but obviously, it's you know, it gets complicated with uh, the injury. And then, um, you know, obviously, Brandon, you and I remember kind of the, the boobers coming out uh, mm-hmm. when he struggled uh, after moving to first base. So it was just nice to see a local player who, um, you know, if you look at some of the videos, the, the you know, the, the family must have submitted some videos of him playing, uh, whether it was like Linwood Park or uh, off of Lexington Parkway or whatever. Um, and you're just like, man, this is crazy. This little kid, I can't weigh like 50 pounds or whatever, is cranking bombs in a little league game. And then here he is now, his, his uh, you know, numbers retired uh, among the Twins greats, many of whom were there. Um, so, you know, I just think it was, it was definitely a different feeling, but it was just nice to see him celebrated kind of not as just a great player, but also a great player from St. Paul, a great Minnesota player, you know, having his number retired by the Twins. What, what did you think the best part of it was? I mean, for me, I thought Justin Morneau's speech was pretty great. Obviously, someone that close to him, I think they played together for 10 years. That, to me, was maybe my favorite part, just because he's got such inside, intimate knowledge of Joe the person. But also, the, the you know, playing catch with his dad for that first pitch was pretty cool. What did you think was the best part? Those were two really great moments, and I think it, it's worth mentioning again that, that Morneau's speech was really good, kind of getting in the specifics of him, just how good he was, um, you know, right out of the shoot. And he chose that number seven because in Elizabethan, uh, which is, you know, happy league, like, you know, low, low rookie level, he hit 400 while wearing seven. I didn't realize, I knew he had worn 16 at Creighton, I didn't realize he had worn six and all these different numbers, never really seven in any of the sports he played. Um, so it's fun that Morneau kind of started with, with that anecdote and expanded from there. I think my favorite part, and it's nothing super specific, I, I mean, there was hilarious stuff like T.I. must have shot a video from his phone, <laughs> yeah. acknowledging obviously that Maori is that music. I, that video was shot in like a garage or something. It was super funny. Um, you know, and they, obviously the commercials are great. They're still great to this day. I just liked having 
everyone there in one spot because there's kind of generations of twin teams, the Puntos and stuff, and obviously, uh, you know, Poof and all these guys, you know, kind of different eras. Kind of a reminder how long he did play. Um, and just kind of, kind of the turnout, I guess, for him. Obviously, you heard uh, all the buzz in the stands. Uh, but just kind of those remind. Oh, there's an arts fan, right? Here, here's Molitor, who obviously was his manager for a while. Um, I, I, I think, uh, to me, though, it was just cool to kind of see everyone there in one spot, uh, celebrating a guy who, you know, unfortunately because of how his career turned out, and he did two years, but um, it seems so far removed from young Jamauer 06, that, you know, that crazy team or the, the 10 team when Target Field opened uh, or whatever, you know, it's just kind of cool to see a who's who from those, those eras. Who did you think was the biggest surprise there? I think, you know, Johnny Bench being there was surprising, but like Garrett Jones showed up and Nick Punto and Darren Mastriani, friend of the program, Darren Mastriani, I might add. Um, there were some interesting names that showed up. I, I saw Trevor Plouffe on Friday night was wearing a Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau shirt. I didn't get to catch up with Trevor, which was too bad. But, um, yeah, I thought that uh, there was a pretty cool cast of characters that showed up, and maybe Johnny Bench to me was the most surprising. Yeah, I would say Johnny Bench to me was the biggest surprise. I also heard after the fact, there was a, a story actually in The Athletic about J.J. Hardy that, like, J.J. Hardy was there. Yeah, he like, was. You know, and this is this is the thing. You mentioned, like, Mastriani and some of these guys. I mean, I, you know, offhand, I don't remember how long some of these guys played on the Twins. But it's cool that players who just kind of brushed by him at some point for a couple of years, he made that kind of impact on them. Um, yeah, I would say Johnny Bench was the biggest surprise. I, I think it also just tells you something about how Maurer's viewed. I know, you know, obviously Garden Hire, um, you have a tribute on the screen, but, like, Buster Posey, it, it's, I think that's a good perspective to have, that someone currently playing – uh, who, you know, there's been, I guess, some Maurer comps, if you want to say, with Buster Posey. Mm-hmm. You know, what he thinks of them. What Johnny Bench, who, you know, and, and all the all that he did for baseball, what he thinks from. I, I, I think um, for sure Bench was a surprise, and I just think it, it offered a cool perspective or a reminder that, look, people from around baseball, uh, especially those who have caught, really think highly of uh, of Maurer. Yeah, I think Rocco Baldelli had some pretty good perspective on him, too, about what he meant. And I think it would have been cool for Rocco to manage him for a year, but I think Joe is very much at peace with his decision to retire. I got to ask you, what was the, the access to Joe like with the, um, you know, you guys got to go down and talk to him in the Sid Hartman press room after the, the ceremony. Well, you mentioned that Sid, I'll get to him in a second, but oh boy. yeah, I mean, it was cool. It, it, there weren't many reporters there, so it, it kind of felt like just like that. Formal, formal media thing. He was a little rushed because he was going on TV. Glenn Perkins, another guy who was there, was on TV. I think they did, did some television together. Um, you know, it's nice. He was asked about that. Just kind of like it was one of the last questions. You know, any regrets not being part of this team after going through? You know, obviously he was he was dumped right into the the great. If you want to call them great twins years, or you know, certainly the most memorable in recent history. But um, you go through all these lean years would you want to be part of this crazy team? And, you know, he, he kind of said what you, you know, suggested here is that he's, he's at peace with the decision, but you know, I don't know. It's just funny. It, it, he's such a, you know, for, especially kind of how big of a medical star he was, um, even he going to high school and, and excelling, you know, famously Bobby Bowden, you know, did a testimonial too. They, everyone kind of knows he could have gone and played at Florida state. Um, it's funny that he's still to this day, just kind of like, you know, it's like, why, does, why is everyone talking to me? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, 
I think you catch more of that in that setting rather than obviously when he's at the podium and, and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, Sid walks in about, it was about a 10-minute maybe press conference. Sid walks in five, six minutes into it, uh, sits down. I'm sitting next to Tyler Mason, who does some freelance and covered the uh, the Twins kind of during the Bauer area for uh, Fox Sports North. And we hand him the mic, assuming Sid's obviously going to walk in and crank out like three questions. And instead, he impedes Bauer's way out so he's like now late for TV and asked him if he's for sure done, for sure retired. And I was like, look, that would have been a phenomenal moment. If Bauer's like, yeah, just kidding. I know you're retired by number. He's got to wear like eight or something like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm going back, baby. You know, like I'm coming in this season to go play for the, the Rocco Twins. But um, that was just kind of a sideshow. Um, of know, course. Kind of a funny sideshow. But one of those things when Sid walks in, you know something crazy is going to happen. Yeah, that's uh, be like double jeopardy. Once your number's retired, you can't come back and wear it again. Um, I, I got to ask you, this is kind of an off-the-wall question. So a friend of mine plays in a fantasy league where you can literally draft any person in baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, if you know a 12-year-old kid who is someone's son, like there's no limits. Where would you draft, Chip, where would you draft Chip Maurer in a draft like that? Oh, my God. I mean, I think you'd be pretty confident. Hey, here's the thing. I, I actually think the X factor there is that, I mean, we know, and this is the problem with him going to first base. I understand why he did it. But, like, we forget how crazy a mathy he was that, like, the, the few plays where he could use his arm, he was gunning guys down and, you know, all that stuff. And, and certainly, I mean, you just wrote about it with the current catchers, but how much, you know, wear and tear there is uh, behind the plate, you know, some of that – gets diminished obviously over the course of his career let alone the aging but I think the risk in taking Chip Mauer is that he ends up being a football player oh, he ends man. up being a basketball player or something like that I think that's the risk I mean I, I assume any any guy kind of you know uh, son of Mauer is going to have a chance to, uh, to be a great player yeah, somebody drafted Eno Saris's son in that league and then tried to trade him to him to get something and it was <laughs> it came out to be a pretty funny story I'm sure it's amazing. It's also just like, <laughs> like what a league. Like, how many of those guys do you have? Like, 100 of them? You must. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. As a brief aside, uh, we talked about Justin Morneau's uh, speech. How how impressive has he been and how he's come along as a broadcaster? I know we've, we haven't had him in the booth now because he just had a new kid here in the last two days. But, man, when he comes back in July, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, he, he knew the stuff all along, and uh, and he, he was quiet, and to be fair, this should be expected. I mean, I, I can't remember the exact line, but they used to, you know, in the Metrodome days, promote these guys as, as kind of quieter guys who were just serious about playing baseball. They obviously famously were, were roommates in 06, um, and there, there wasn't kind of that showbat attitude or the, you know, these guys weren't kind of media darlings. Do you expect Tori Hunter, obviously, to be a great uh, broadcaster because he's a funny guy and very outgoing personality. But I think once Morneau um, kind of got used to being in the booth and, and probably was coached up a little bit, um, I mean, he's up there with Smalley and some of those other guys that I really like, um, just in terms of, A, obviously, he's recognizable and, and uh I mean, there was some talk when he was giving that speech. It was like, man, how close was he to getting 33 retired, right? So, yeah. you know, he's synonymous with the Twins. And uh, I thought it was um, – sorry, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going here so I don't end up in, like, Davenport, Iowa. Um, <laughs> but I uh, – um, 
Yeah, I really think he's come along, and I don't think it's just a name thing. I think it's, he really knows baseball, and uh, the more he articulates that, the better he's going to get. Hey, so uh, some breaking news coming across the wire here. The Tampa Bay Rays have received MLB's permission to explore becoming a two-city team. Tampa Bay for the beginning of the season and Montreal for the second half of the season. So they would play in Tampa or St. Petersburg early on. And then, yeah, Montreal in the second half. That's Jeff Passon tweet. Uh, what's your initial reaction to that? That is absolutely bananas. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, they, we learned with hockey, for example, and, and obviously the – so they're, you know, they have Vegas and then they're going to get Seattle. Um, you know, obviously the number one lesson was that Vegas was a sports market and, and kind of maybe surprisingly for hockey. But I think the other thing is there's enough talent to fill these teams up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if a team's not good, it tends to be just the management isn't good. I got to imagine, you know, with baseball, especially being a global game, that look, there's guys, to use Twins examples, like a, a Jake Cave, like he belongs on a major league roster. I don't think he's a game-breaking player, yeah. but you're like, what's this dude doing in AAA? That's a deal, same thing. I understand maybe borderline and kind of that, obviously this crazy playing style that he has that we've documented, but he was tearing through AAA. I, you know, again, I, I get that every every team doesn't have uh, the talent that, let's say, Rochester does, mm-hmm. but um, I would rather see I kind of like Tampa to stay there uh, because I think they're like an important part of baseball. They're obviously a really quirky Oakland, kind of one of the more innovative teams and, and just kind of, I'd just rather see them move into a better stadium, you know, kind of operate like a full-fledged baseball team, not one that cuts CJ Crone. Um, and uh, I think Montreal should get baseball just because we saw, I mean, it's a different city, but we saw the passion obviously for sports outside of hockey with the Toronto Raptors winning. I think if you look at Montreal, I think people would say, oh, it didn't work, and that's why they ended up in Washington. That's more a Jeffrey Loria, I think, was involved, of course, and all sorts of mess. I mean, it was, it was a messy situation that ended up them moving. I don't think that means that there's no support for the, the game. So I don't love it splitting. I, if you're going to split cities, why not, you know, maybe like do Orlando and Tampa or something like that in order to incorporate the whole market? Um, I'd much rather see Montreal Expos playing in the you know, in Major League Baseball as well as Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and to me, it's just a logistical nightmare. I mean, players have to have a place to live, and they have families, and there's season tickets to deal with, and I don't know. I just, I I can't see it working. I really can't. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing else to add to that. So we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the 17-inning game that I covered the other night. Tom, I think we're even for weather luck at this point. Uh, I know you were rain dance Schreier. You got all the rain delays a couple years ago, but I covered a five hour and 45 minute 17 inning game that included home runs from each side in the 13th inning. Uh, how much of that did you watch? I watched all of it, which I regret because obviously I'm on the road here, like half asleep, but, uh, which, you know, hopefully no one and I was listening, but, uh, um, I think, it, it was hard not to, you know, kind of stay up for that one because, A, obviously the 13th was incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. But, B, and I don't know how much it matters, but, you know, they're showing – the Twins are showing that they can hang with the Red Sox, and that's always that question of, like, yeah, you can beat up on the bad AL Central teams. You can beat up on these bad AL teams. Can you hang with the Red Sox? Probably a peg below, like, the, the Astros and the Yankees or whatever, but – probably a playoff team, obviously, defending champs. 
Yeah. But also, that would have been the third straight loss for the first time this season. So, I, listen, I think this team, especially coming off uh, the Kansas City game was bad, but the Brios was good in the in the game that Porcello was just a little better. Um, the game before. So I don't think this would have been devastating for the Twins. Um, but I kind of wanted to see that game and then how they reacted the next day. And uh, uh, so I don't know. There was enough kind of behind that that it was worth staying up, even though I was very tired by the end of it. I'm sure you were too. Yeah, there were nearly 500 pitches, 33 strikeouts. Um, there were 100 and let's see here. 62 plus, I'm going to do a little math on the uh, on the fly here, 126 at bats, so like 130 plate appearances. I mean, just staggering numbers. And I heard through, uh, you know, I kind of eavesdropped on a conversation. They used between 25 and 30 dozen baseballs. Real? Oh, yeah, I think I heard that. That's so crazy. That's unbelievable. Um, I got out of the, the stadium at like 125, 120, and the ramp B doors were locked. Do you know what kind yeah. of panic that that sends into someone at like, it was 129, I remember, because I sent a tweet saying this is some kind of nonsense. I'm going to tell you, man, that is not too exciting to get to ramp B and have the doors locked. I had to walk down the stairs from the plaza, and then I walked up the car entry and walked around through three levels to get to where I was parked. <laughs> if there was like security, I mean, I don't even know how like secure those ramps are at night, but uh, if there was security, they'd probably like, who the hell is this guy? You're like, man, I just covered the, the center of the end of the game. Yeah, that's the tough thing. And I think people realize this with media. I mean, you got out there actually early, you know, given that you have to have access, you tend to write afterwards. Mm-hmm. Obviously, our stuff is a little more evergreen, so sometimes you can get most of the there in the game. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a good thing those things are a rarity. And I also don't know. I mean, you had some funny tweets during the game, like the fact that people after nine innings, and I get it was like a Tuesday or whatever, on a you know work night. But uh, you're like, I will only watch nine innings. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> but, uh, mass exodus after nine innings. I have paid for exactly nine innings. I am leaving right now. And like people get on me like it's a work night. I'm like, no, I get it. It's just the arbitrariness of. This is the ninth inning. I I paid for nine innings. I'm out of here. Like it's a it was a very compelling game at that point. Yeah, no, and there was you know like there was some jokes of like just turn the beer tabs back on and uh, yeah. And I loved how you were just after I think the sixteenth inning you're like I'm doing one more and then I'm leaving. Um, I was but, delirious. Uh, I mean, if, go ahead. I was delirious. Uh, I, I, I Rocco gave credit to Mitch Garver for catching all seventeen innings, and I think that is a warrior mentality. Yeah, there was that kind of higher state of consciousness or whatever you you know you, <laughs> I, you know, tweeted about or whatever. But yeah, I mean it's it, it's probably not great for the players. It's also just not a great thing, you know. And Phil probably get into that game, but for the Twins, given we just you just wrote about how Garber and Castro, uh, one of the best catching tandems in terms of offensively in baseball, uh, how they um, you know really benefit from the rest. But also, I think the you know, Morin probably pitched longer than he would normally against Kansas City just to preserve the bullpen. I think Rocco was just going to ride that out, hoping there was kind of a comeback in the Twins and, and not going through all his arms. But, uh, you know, that's another thing he tweeted about. Littell 
maybe just started warming up just because we were the only guy left. But, you know, they <laughs> emptied the bullpen. All these things, not great for the Twins, uh, you know, in the middle of a series against the Red Sox. The upside for them, you know, you get Kansas City before they go home and play like Tampa where you may need those relievers again. Yeah, I told Rocco it was maybe my fault that I wrote about catcher workloads being managed the night before um, or the night of a 17-inning game. So I think I maybe pissed off the baseball gods a little bit. Right, right. So you got to give Garver credit. And, he, you know, he's been great. Obviously, had that um, hot start injury. To me, one of the most surprising players, and that's not to say, like, we saw power potential with him and stuff, but just how productive he's, he's been. you got to give him credit for uh, – Knowing Cash was more than capable of uh, for going out there and gotten that one out. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, lots of credit, and he brought that up unprompted, which I thought was um, pretty cool. So yeah, I uh, I think we're about even on the luck of the games that we've covered in terms of uh, luck and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, we're we're, we're about even now. But um, it feels like they've gone through a little bit of an offensive lull. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, and I don't know if that. You know, I kind of wrote about this with Kansas City. There's this kind of idea that you should beat up on the bad teams. And I I get some people just mean you should just beat the bad teams, which, you know, well, correct is probably not the most, you know, the greatest analysis. But um, I actually think it's not a bad thing for these guys to be in closer games because we saw saw earlier in the season, you know, guys like Verlander, but, you know, especially against uh, a team like Boston. This is a great lineup. It's a team well designed to beat bad AL teams. But come playoff time, when you got the three best from a really good team, they're going to shut them down. And you know you're going to have games like this where it's a good sign. Barrios held it held his own. And I know I wrote about the eighth inning a little bit. Like things go a little differently there, uh, and that both decision making and luck, to be honest. Um, maybe you pull that one out. So you know I don't think. Uh, I think the Powerball maybe they're running into some good players, some good pitchers, and I think it may also be this is a good experience for this team to have because I don't think you're going to have many like seven-one games in the playoffs, mm-hmm. given that a lot of teams at the top are very even. Yeah, in, in the last six games, they've only scored more than five runs once, and in that stretch, they're two and four. That, before we move off, or that, no, three and three, sorry. Garver, the game against Kansas City where Garver hit the hit the homer. Is that guy Keller pretty good? I was looking at his numbers, and he didn't look like a kind of lights-out guy. Um, he's a big ground ball guy. He doesn't give up homers. So that he held the Twins' offense in check is not terribly surprising considering how home-run reliant they are. He's not a stud, but he's he's pretty darn good. But, yeah, the that game was incredible. I mean, and then Jake Diekman giving up that homer. I mean, Garver squared up, I want to say, 96 or 97 miles per hour. I mean, just what an incredible plate appearance. Yeah, and really a fun kind of uh, post-game interview where you could just tell he was super, super emotional. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I just – even if it's against Kansas City, I get people are going to want to see – because it is hilarious to see, like, two professional baseball teams and one win, like, 14-3 or whatever. I guess not when it's the Rays over the Twins. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny seeing these scores. And at the same time, it's just – it's more realistic because we saw this. You know, I don't, again, I don't think Boston – Boston's probably not the level of a healthy – Astros or, or Yankees, but they're a good team, and, and it's you, you not only want to see these guys tee off on on opponents, but also can you deliver like Garver did uh, when it matters most? Yeah, no question about it. Um, I got to ask you, I, Max Kepler's been red hot lately. Is he the new favorite to represent this team in the All Star game? 
I want to go over this because I did see this tweet. You were saying that he's playing better than Rosario. And I, I think so. And this is just being honest with the with the listeners. I thought the offensive team kind of there wasn't a ton that was like super obvious to write about at that time, and we had gotten that next round of voting. And it's worth noting, if people don't know this, that literally at every position there's someone who is a top five vote getter mm-hmm. uh, on the Twins, which is which speaks to you know the balance of, of that team. Um, but uh, why is it that? Uh, I mean, I, I know Kepler's been hot, but is it that you see him? To me, it's really like one. And then, you know, I kind of thought Rosario was a better player than, or has been a better player with like an offense, defense, all the things than Kepler. But what is it about Kepler you really like? I think it's the on base percentage. I mean, they're both hitting homers, they're both on pace for about 38, 39 home runs over a full season, which is incredible to have two guys like that, let alone a handful of guys that are on pace for 30. And then, I don't know, I just, I look at it as Kepler has just been so hot lately. His game is just more balanced. You know, Eddie Rosario's on base percentage is 301. To me, you just need to have a little bit more from him on base percentage wise to really push him. Um, Kepler has fewer instances in games where you see like mental lapses. Not that Rosario is where he was two years ago, but to me, I just think that, um, I don't know. I just think that Kepler's had a more rounded season to this point. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about Kepler is he, uh, if he needs to, um, he never kind of went through what's making Rosario great in my mind is that he's not making the middle. Uh, but I, uh, you know, he never saw that in the team. He, it's just such a, a pull guy, um, and it works because he hits enough of them out. Mm-hmm. And the ones that you know come screaming down the line, I mean, it, his winner in that 17 inning game, remember what, right? You know, kind of was a hard angle there, right? You know, is that sustainable in your mind? I mean, can you be? I know Dozier was a little like that. Can you be a guy who really just uses kind of a slice of the field? Uh, I mean, for Dozier, the benefit was that target field plays smaller to left field. So it's hard to say, you know, the concrete is settling after all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's really hard to say. that. That is a good point. I'm going to look it up. But I, I do feel like Max Kepler is almost a dead pull hitter. But it's not like the shift has killed him either. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it's... It, just to take a step back, it is really impressive that a player from Germany, um, which obviously is not a baseball hotbed, has come this far. Um, and I think he's a great athlete. I, I think you're probably in a bit of a pinch where, for right now, you wouldn't change anything with Kepler. He's been that good. I, I think he's, and I haven't looked at the voting super soon, but it was he was receiving votes. Rosario was receiving votes in boxing, as he should was. Um that's a testament to that whole outfield, but um, I just wonder if, if someone kind of cracks the code on him, if he can adjust. But yeah. as it currently stands, especially with the power, he it, it's kind of not a bad thing to have, you know, the guy at the top of the lineup be able to put you up 1-0, you know, at, at any point. Um, I think it works. I'm just curious, long-term, um, you know, if he has to be more dynamic as a hitter. Yeah, just eight of his 71 hits this year have come to left field. Seven singles and a double. Um, In terms of OPS to each field, 501 to left, 1,005 to center, 1,189 to right. 
So it's pretty clear that he is um, the anti Joe Maurer when it comes to using the whole field. Yeah, yeah, impressive nonetheless. I mean, he, he's, um, you know, that's a big reason, I think, why, you know, for the success. I know it's in power, which uh, really all three of those guys are trying to provide, but, but also that most fly balls will get caught in that outfield. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, Miguel Sano, I know the numbers look okay, but his really struggled. I think he struck out nine times in the Red Sox series. Felt like he struck out nine times in the 17-inning game, quite frankly. Um, I believe he has one option left, but at the same time, the Twins are not really in a spot to send him out. And and frankly, that would be a you know perhaps admitting a really big failure on on his part or their part. At this point, what do you do with him? I mean, I think you kind of have to just let him play through it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it became kind of a running theme. Now, keep in mind, JD Martinez, really good hitter, I think struggled in that seventeen inning game. Yeah, that's the important thing. I, I, I don't think players really. Like when you're really scuffling, I don't think it's a good thing to play a longer game. I don't think at some point in the twelfth inning when you're fatigued, you're like, "Ah, oh, that's what I'm doing wrong." And you, you know, you start getting hit. Um, but uh, you know, I think the the hard thing with him is that he probably looks. It's never going to look good to strike out as much as he has, but it looks even worse on a team that really has professional hitters. And I'm talking about some of the young guys as well. Um, it also. You know, Marlon Gonzalez, we've talked about him, obviously has been a great pickup, had a little bit of a tough start in the first month, but otherwise it's been been really good. And he's actually getting votes for third base, which is funny given that he's, uh, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but he's kind of split his time between third baseman, utility infielder, and the fourth outfielder. Mm-hmm. Again, he's an incredible player that he can play that well defensively at all these different positions. But, um you know, it doesn't look great when you like if you're thinking just short term, which the Twins are going to have to do more and more often now because, you know, this is uh, while, while they're in the season, I guess you can take chances on a couple guys. You know, they're going to they're obviously gearing up for the postseason. Um, if you just look immediately, I guess you could just play Marvin there. Um, the thing with Sano is I think you want to try to work it out at the major league level. I think um, it's a little like Buxton where send him down and he'd go and break in AAA and you're, you know you're like you have to because he's not productive in the majors but really the problem is he's, he's somewhere in the middle of the chasm between AAA and the majors it's not that he's a AAA caliber hitter that needs to you know learn how to beat that league so if it's a confidence issue you know have him go down and, and you know maybe work on a couple things to build up his confidence in AAA if it's something more mechanical or something more in terms of approach I guess I'd rather have him seeing breaking pitches in the major leagues, which are just better, and, and learn how to, um, you know, especially in situational hitting. He doesn't need to go and, you know, look to hit a home run. He can punch it through a gap, and, you, you know, you're offering some of the team there. So um, I guess I'd rather see him working out in the majors. Yeah, it comes at a time with Marwin Gonzalez going on the IL, too, that's certainly not beneficial. I think what we might see tonight in Kansas City is Astadio at third, Arias at second, or or Arias at third, Scope at second, some kind of combination that gets Miguel Sano out of the lineup. Just give him a day to clear his head and and then, you know, see where he's at coming back perhaps tomorrow. But, yeah, I think that it's it's going to take, uh, obviously, an adjustment period, but I think up here is where it's got to be as well. Yeah, and I, I think to be fair to Sano, I mean, I think the message could be pretty simple. It's, hey, here's the data to get your head straight, but also 
and, and maybe there's something ailing him too. You don't know. I mean, these guys have played through through a lot, right? But um, the other thing is that was Boston. I mean, that, that's, that's a good team, mm-hmm. and they'll know if you're kind of you're struggling, they'll know how to exploit you. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you can take this series to uh, to try to get it right. Be tested against against Tampa. Um, you know, I think the concern more is that the the underlying numbers suggest that he's not the player that kind of those raw stats would indicate. And um, and the the best thing about this team, as you mentioned, you know, the injured list. It's the rise guy. I mean, in other years, he'd be a fixture, right? Mm-hmm. Because he can uh, because of how he hit. So it's not a bad thing to give opportunities to obviously a fan favorite and that, you know Asadio, the, the the legend that is one Asadio, and then. Uh, give another young guy to kind of reward him uh, and even a guy like Cave for uh, for being kind of good soldiers uh, down in AAA. How much of last night's game did you see? Uh, I actually watched most of it. I was a little curious about Poppin because I I think he's like a 19th round pick or something out of Harvard, and I start to see his number or his name crop up in the minor league reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was a purely a, a uh, curiosity about him. Um, but no, I watched uh, the basketball of the game. Yeah, I think it was interesting to see the defensive alignment with Tortuga at second and Arise at short. But I think Arise actually looked pretty good at shortstop to the point where you could make a case for him to be um, the the backup shortstop if if they ever wanted to get away from Ray Adrianza or something like that. Yeah, which is probably, you know, like Adrianza's another guy, you know, probably didn't expect this kind of productivity out of him. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but they, I mean, they also played an important role. I think a guy like Poppin, if he, you know, you don't turn some of those double plays or whatever, I'm sure, again, he's a Harvard guy, a chemistry degree or something from Harvard. He's a smart guy, but, you know, a guy like him maybe could get rattled in his debut knowing that he's there because he's a fresh arm and you got to kind of, you know, stay away from some of these other believers, right? I mean, he's just looking, yeah. they're looking for him to finish the game. It's a good major league experience. Just, you know, obviously he gets a good, good lineup, uh, good first pace. Um, he could get rattled early. And, and, and then, you know, I, he walks away from that being like, oh, cool, I made my major league debut, but it looked terrible. And, uh, you know, it's encouraging to see these guys that they just kind of walk right in in the middle of, uh, you know, a red-hot team, obviously, and uh, have his back, uh, you know, on a couple double plays after, um, you know, Ben attending, I can't remember the other guy who drew the walk, but yeah, um, yeah after popping at some struggles early. Yeah, you, you really got to take your hat off to him because the Twins had a couple situations where they tried to get like Fernando Romero to eat innings like that, and and uh, just didn't work. So I mean, the fact that Papa went out there and gave them what they had, even though they sent him out after the game, was uh, was impressive. Now Cole Stewart is on his way to Kansas City to work out of the bullpen. It sounds like so. Um, you know, lots of things churning, and it's funny how maybe we thought at the beginning of the year that this bullpen was pretty well stocked in terms of guys with and without options, and, you know, it might not be that many guys who they'd be able to cycle up here from AAA, and now they're already cycling through their fourth, fifth, and sixth options with guys like Mike Marin, Tyler Duffy, and and those kind of guys as mainstays, you know, Trevor Hildenberger down at Rochester. It's pretty impressive the churn they've had in the bullpen, although I don't use impressive in terms of how they've pitched, but just the matter of how many guys you can actually go through with guys getting hurt or not pitching well? Well, I mean, that's the thing is that's always going to be a focus on this team because the meltdowns look awful, especially when you get the, the big lead and we know how important bullpens are um, in the playoffs because 
look, I think Kyle Gibson's been great recently. That was a really rough outing. And if you have one of those, you, you want the opportunity for, uh, you know, for the guy to leave and you trust the bullpen to finish up the game and keep it checked. But, you know, Littell's an interesting guy there. Like, I, I, I haven't been blown away, obviously, with him as a starter, but there's an opportunity for him there. A Cole Stewart, again, this is not the regime that took him fourth overall or whatever. This, it's a regime just trying to see what they have in him. You know, why not try him there? Um, Romero, to me, and I guess you maybe put Cole Stewart in there if he, if he starts ramping up velocity, but um, a guy like that who had a lot of success early on and then, you know, really struggled in his, the, the last couple starts he had, um, you need to have a handful of those guys. And, that, you know, I wrote about this a little bit. Do something because they're going to look at outside options, and that's not a terrible idea. We, we know how volatile relievers are, and it's not a bad thing to go pick one up that you know is doing well this year or whatever. But given the limitations, even a team with assets they, that the Twins have, have in, in getting relievers for this year, knowing that they're probably not long-term fixes, um, you want some of these internal guys to go and show you, like, hey, I deserve a spot. So Duffy, I think, is a good example of that. Um, obviously, he's been around for a while, and it looks like he's figured out a little bit, and I think you've written about him twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be nice to see a Cole Stewart maybe take that opportunity. Or, you know, I know people are going to be really down on Romero, and obviously I know why, but, you know, if he can start to put it together a little bit, um, it's just hard to stress how important it is that, that a handful of these guys, whether it's on the coaching side or for them just mentally, uh, start to put it together. Because I, I got to imagine a guy like Romero has some stuff. And even a guy like Cole Stewart, where he's drafted his arm strength and all that, got to have some stuff. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to figure it out, but, you know, whether it's West Johnson or someone in the minor league, you know, testing you guys up, figure out how to get them going um, and, and, you know, lock down in the bullpen. Yeah, I can't be the only one interested in the idea of Cole Stewart as a reliever to see what his velocity looks like. Yeah, I mean, he was sitting. I mean, this is the problem is that there was actually, I think this was, you know, Sarah, we talked about him earlier in the show. I think he had a piece on The Athletic about how, you know, no matter what these guys throw, they tend to sit at 92, 93 as a starter, 96, 97 as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of what Wes Johnson is doing is more just making sure they don't lose velocity mechanically. Um but, uh, um, I mean, that really is oversimplifying what he's doing. But, um, you know, I'm curious what he's got. Because if he's got, I think he would sit 93, right, as a starter. So maybe he cranks it up to 96, 97, and then it's just, you know, kind of does he trust his off-speed stuff uh, enough to get him through. Right. Going in there. Right. Well, is there anything else you have before we let you go? I, I know we want you to drive safely, get to Kansas City, and get where you're going. But uh, anything we left out? No, I mean, obviously, uh, follow along. I will be, uh, you know, at three of the four Kansas City games with the wedding on Saturday, and then uh, should be at, you know, those three Chicago games. So um, continue to follow along. I'm sure you'll have some, some work, maybe get out to those Tampa, you know, a couple of those Tampa games or whatever. Um, and just uh, follow along, because for us, we're excited. We've covered the Twins for a while. We've obviously tried to done our, you know, do our best work. Um, but it's fun knowing that, there's a lot more people engaged with the team right now and looking for, for uh, Twins content. So tell your friends, follow Zone Covers, become a member, listen to the podcast, read our stuff. How, uh, how far are you going to have to go from Kansas City to Des Moines? I mean, that's I, that's a pretty long day trip, isn't it? it, it it's actually like uh, right in the middle kind of. Uh, so it's uh, probably three hours. I think Des Moines is about four from, from Minneapolis, and, mm-hmm. and it's about six and a half 
Kansas City is six and a half from uh, from Minneapolis. So actually, if you here's the thing: is if you're looking to go to an away game, I mean, you did this when you when you covered Chicago. I think you did some White Sox and some Cubs last year. Um, you know, you have to deal with a lot of traffic in the big city and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas City, really, really nice city. Really cool ballpark. Like, really under... I, I have not been there to cover a game yet. I've only been there, and it was... I think it was a non-twin game. Um, but really, like, fun fans and really good food. It's a really good city in the park, which is about 50 minutes away from uh, Kansas City on the Missouri side. It is really, really a cool old park. So if you, you know, want an excuse to go down, uh, make a twin road trip, uh, especially on a weekend like this, Kansas City is a big recommendation for me. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Well, that's all we got for this week's episode. So for Tom on the road, producer Justin, this is Brandon Warren saying thank you for checking us out. Tune in next time for an all-new edition, edition excuse me, of Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. Chicago.